HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, sharing nothing but the best in whole grain nutrition and committed to their mission of good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, this is your host, Dana Cowan. Welcome to Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network, a show where brilliant women in the food world share stories about their lives and their careers. Today, my guest is Ellen Bennett. She is the founder of Headley & Bennett, a company that makes extraordinary aprons by hand in Los Angeles in a place where there are swings and happy people and jumps for joy. It's a great way to run an apron business. And today we're going to learn about that sense of community building and business building that Ellen does so well. Aprons are a lifestyle. Ellen, how did you make that happen? How did you go from a girl who was on the line at a restaurant, Providence in Los Angeles, being uncomfortable in her itchy, scratchy, ugly apron into an apreneur? An apreneur. Oh, I like that. Um, well, it was a, quite a journey, and I'm still on the journey. The trek never ends. Um, I, I basically started it because I was in the kitchen getting my buns handed to me every night, working really, really long, cra- like crazy hours. And I, my, my previous life before Headley and Bennett, I was like a talk show radio lady in Mexico like I was, I was on TV and everything was very pretty and beautiful and glamorous and whatever and that was a life and that was that but I really wanted to be in the food world and so to enter the food world and see how disconnected people were from the f- beautiful food they were making to what they were wearing messed with my head and I was like why is it like that all these other industries, all these other things, even sports, everyone has like a super sick outfit. Why can't <laughs> we have a super sick outfit? I want to look fucking amazing in the kitchen. And nobody was doing that. And it was like this strange, weird void. And I was like, I'm going to fix that right now. And I just started. It just, it kind of began with a decision. And then I started walking one foot in front of the other and a lot of times running. And that's how I began. Well, I know that you began and you said yes to an order from Joseph Centeno yeah. for aprons before you even had a prototype. That was bold. Yeah. How did you know when you said, yes, I will make you aprons, that you could make aprons? Well, you kind of prove to yourself in life that you can do stuff and then it gives you a little bit more confidence and gives you just a little bit more, uh, you could say, balls to take leaps of faith, even though you've never done it before, but you have enough conviction in your mind that you can do it. And then you just like leap out the window and figure it out on your way down, (laughs) as I would say. One of my favorite quotes is like, leap while looking. You don't always have to know where you're going to land or how you're going to land. Just like figure it out and just look down as you're flying through the air. So what are the, some of the things in your earlier life where 
you gained that confidence that then gave you the ability to, to say to Joseph, yes, I can. Yes, I can. Well, for example, the way I got my job at Providence was I... There, I'm half Mexican, so I speak Spanish fluently. And there was uh, a busboy walking out the side of the building on his lunch break. And I was like, Hola, me pueden este, llevar al chef, por favor? Quiero conocerlo, quiero un trabajo. And I just basically <laughs> like was, was like, yo, I'm your people. You're my people. Help me out. Introduce me to the chef. And he literally like walked me into the kitchen and was like, he's over there. Bye. And then walk and then like sort of ran out of the kitchen. And I was standing in this stainless steel looking cage. Right. Which is like basically what a kitchen feels like. Beautiful, crisp, everything clean, everything like a machine. All the people rushing by. And I was standing there in like this blue, ridiculous outfit that I was wearing, a dress. And part of my hair was shaved. Like the left side of my hair was shaved. I had a heart. Oh my gosh. Like you fit right in. Oh yeah. Right (laughs) in. So the whole kitchen just sort of stopped and looked over at me and we're like, what the hell? Who's that? And what is she doing in here? And I walked up to the chef and I was like, chef, I want an opportunity to work in this kitchen. I am Mexican and I have the work ethic to prove it. And I literally was just like, you, you need to let me work here. I will show you. I had just moved back from Mexico city. So I was very adamant about proving that I could do this and I had never actually worked in a professional kitchen I had never eaten at Providence and I was like chef your restaurant's so amazing it's incredible but I really didn't actually know what caliber of restaurant it was and then that was my I mean Providence is one of the best restaurants truly and the entire country actually so you walked into a kitchen of an extraordinary chef with a lot of confidence yeah and then he was like well Okay, like he kind of didn't know what to do with me. I think I like flustered him. I was so excited about this idea of working there. And he was like, all right, well, okay, fine. Why don't you come in on Friday and we'll try you out? And I was like, even better, chef. I will come in the entire weekend so you can see what I work like in three days and it'll be wonderful and fantastic. And, And he was like, okay, whatever. All right, just get out, you know? And so I showed up and that night I was expecting that they would like roll out a contract for me and say like, of course we're going to hire you. And they weren't, they were like, we're not even hiring. Cause I walked up to the sous chef and I was like, so do I get a job? Not knowing that that's what you don't do that in the kitchen. And he was like, no, we're not hiring. And you know, I could have walked away at that point and said, well, shit, that was the end of that opportunity and no I, I was just like can I keep coming anyway and I'll work for free just let me come in please I'll, I'll do anything you need and they said yes and then a week and a half later they were like we'd like to hire you okay so you have all that energy and all that enthusiasm and you can convince somebody what about what would be your advice to someone who didn't start with what you've got which is the ebullience and the I'm gonna make you say yes to me like how do you get that or how do you fake it well, I think find figure out what it is that you are good at and reinforce the hell out of that thing. I am good at that, you know, like walking <laughs> in and being like, hi, I'm here and I'm not afraid to be like punched in the face by life. And then I just pick myself up and keep going like that's something that I think I, you know, bring to the table. But that also got cultivated like my parents had a horrible divorce when I was younger like it was hell in a handbasket it's not like I just like grew up and had all these abilities to talk to the world it's like you're forced into uncomfortable situations and if you embrace them and get through them you're stronger when you leave so let's talk about um your childhood a little bit the kid of a divorce and you really helped your mother pull through in what way did that shape you and what how were you helping your mom well it I think that it proved, it proved to, I don't even know how to say it. It proved my, I proved myself wrong that I, I was like, wait a second. I'm not a child. I can actually do more than a child. So I convinced myself out of this box that kids are sometimes placed into where it's like, this is what a child does. A child does this and this and this, and then they graduate and then they do blah. And it's a very straight path. And you sort of are groomed into that when you're little, what are you going to be when you grow up? I'm going to be an astronaut. And I didn't have that because the divorce and like, you know, I went and lived with my, I don't think you, I've ever told you about this, but it was such a bad divorce that I actually went and lived with my aunt and uncle for about a year and a half while my mom, you know, pulled it together and like got a 
you know, moved out of my dad's place. And it was just like not pretty. And in that transfer, I really had a very real perspective on life at a pretty damn young age. Um, and then from there, I was just like, okay, this box doesn't exist for me. There is no box. I, my mom is not here. My dad is not here. Let's figure this out, Ellen. This is your life. What do you want it to look like? And then that's that's it. I just kept walking forward and sculpting my own box that didn't look like a box. It's more like an octagon triangle. <laughs> there's a slide coming out of the box. Like, you know, there's just like all these attachments that I screwed on to my box of life. And then when you re-envisioned your sort of what it means to be a child, it actually meant to take on a lot of responsibility. Right. And how did those responsibilities end up helping you? Well, again, I like realized that I could do it and that a lot of things in life typically just start with a decision that you can do it and then you take actions to figure it out. And I don't know everything that I'm doing all the time, but I'm damn resourceful in figuring it out. And so I'll talk to a lot of people. I almost like to crowdsource the knowledge that I get in life. So if I'm ever trying to figure something out, I'll talk to like seven different people from seven different worlds and I'll get information about how they run it in their company. And then I'll talk to somebody that has to do with like blow dryers about how they run it in their company. And getting different perspectives on life, I think, is a really good way to approach things because then you can take all those ideas and make your own out of it. Well, you had another idea that your parents didn't particularly approve of, which was going to Mexico for cooking school. <laughs> right. Um, how'd you make that happen? How'd you pull that off? Well, I was 18. I had just graduated high school and I was I kind of felt a little bit out of place in Los Angeles. And I'd always gone to Mexico. Why, why was that? Well, L.A. is a funny place. If you don't fit in, you really don't fit in. You've, there's all these groups and cliques, and it's like, you're going to be an actor. You're going to be a blah. You're going to be a designer. And I didn't I, – I knew I wanted to do cooking, and I couldn't – my parents couldn't afford the cooking school I wanted to go to in L.A. I really wanted to go to CIA in New York. I couldn't go to that either. So I was like, well, fuck it. I'll just go to Mexico City then and figure it out there. And it didn't actually happen until I landed in Mexico City. I went for about a month and then I, you know, I met a boy and then I was there and I was like, wait a second. People are like more alive in Mexico. Things are more awesome. I fit right in. Like people hug each other. This is um, this is my land, and so oh that God. it's sounding so much like the Wizard of Oz, you know, from black and white to Technicolor. Totally, Mexico is like your Technicolor. Yeah, and LA was my black and white. Yeah. And so then when I got there, I just figured it out. I was like, okay, I'm going to find a cooking school. I'm going to find a job. I'm going to make this work because my parents were like, "You're crazy. You need to come home. We're not going to pay for anything in Mexico." Thinking that that would, you know, get me to turn around, and I was like, uh, uh-uh. uh, and I. Really Rooted down, hunkered up, and just made it happen. That was the beginning of your doing multiple jobs yes. at once. Yes. Which, which, like, you know, when you're 18 and, and being, like, a booth babe at a trade show selling, you know, canola oil, it's not exactly, like, the picture-perfect scenario. I was very much like, what the hell am I doing with my life? How did I end up in Mexico City selling canola oil? But now I look back at that and think... Well, crap, that's how I learned how to talk to people and not be afraid to be told no. That's how I learned a lot of stamina. I was standing all day in high heels, you know, in like a pencil skirt, talking and selling different people's products. Almost like door-to-door salesman-like, but prettier <laughs> outfits, I guess. Um, and you got to stay in one place. And I got to stand in one place, which sometimes I will say is harder because your huh. feet hurt even more. <laughs> But it, it was like, at that time, it sucked. And later in life, I said, thank God I had that opportunity. It, and the cooking skills that you gained there, did you think that those were really helpful as you've gone on? You know, what I learned in culinary school, no. I don't think I've ever used an ounce of wow. what I actually studied. And the truth is, I studied restaurant management. Okay, um, It was a cheaper avenue to take and then I just made a deal with my dad and I was like I'll learn how to cook professionally in a kitchen if you can just pay for this sliver of a career for me and he was like okay deal and so that hence why I got the job at Providence and why I was running around trying to you know get my get my little sea legs in the kitchen professionally 
Now, I'm curious because you have this entrepreneurial gene. You can sell canola oil, which I mean, that's really... <laughs> I mean, if you can sell canola oil, you're good. You're set. I, I feel like you're set for the rest of your life, actually. But why aprons? Because now that I think about it, like at, at first, you make it seem so logical. Of course, you yeah. know, I made aprons. But actually, you could have made anything with your spirit and your spunk. But why aprons? Aside from the fact that, you know, you want to look, you feel yeah. pretty. But did you reject other things? Did this just, it landed in your lap, so to speak. It didn't land, but you took it and ran with it. Right. I, well, I love design a lot. I really appreciate looking at something and seeing how I can make it better. I've always thought that way. Even when I was younger, I would, you know, drive by houses with my mom and be like, slow down so I can look at that house. And if it was an old, ugly house, I was like, if that was my house, I would paint the, you know, I would paint the side and I would put plants. And I was always dreaming up how to make a product better, not necessarily building something from scratch, but making it better. And so there's this like functional gene in me where I want to make things better, more beautiful, more accessible, more design worthy, etc. And so when you combine that with my love for food, it kind of got like it just exploded in my head while cooking and while having my pockets rip off, rip off. And as you can imagine, I was a little bit of a bulldozer in the kitchen. <laughs> like they actually called me Tonky, short for Tonka truck, <laughs> because I would just come like bulldozing down the pass, like behind. And I'd knock like seven things over. I burnt my hand. I got a third degree burn on my second day at Providence because I would just like moved a pot of oil too fast. And then I hid my hand because I didn't want to get fired. And then the sous chef found out and my hand was like bubbling over. And he was like, we need to send you to the hospital. I mean, that was sort of like <laughs> the beginning of, I, I, I will say I refined it up real quick because you don't survive like that in a professional kitchen but that was you know the first few months of Ellen in a <laughs> in the kitchen so I don't even know why I was telling you that I was like off on a tangent in my life um I don't know yeah so we we're talking about sort of why why aprons. the hell aprons yeah and so, it's because you wanted to <laughs> it's not because you were a Tonka truck you wanted not to because it was a Tonka truck um you found an opportunity to reinvent something functional to make it more beautiful right and it was something that I needed and I looked around at my team and they needed it and nobody was making it and nobody was thinking about it in a good honest way where it was not just good looking but it was actually incredibly functional so then just like i told you earlier that like i like to crowdsource knowledge about life i did the same with the aprons and i just started meeting with all kinds of chefs everywhere i went anybody that would talk to me i'd be like can i come visit you tomorrow and they'd be like sure and then i would show <laughs> up and they'd be like oh you're here and i would say yeah because you told me to come at noon and i'm here it's noon and then i would you know clock into providence in the afternoon and work my service so what did you learn from crowdsourcing that knowledge from the chefs that that they shared an interest in changing aprons or you got functional you know i need a, a, a longer string i needed to be red um what yes there was a lot of very functional details like my straps my straps are too short we made a size called room to grow because john and Vinny needed they, they were like i'm a little chubby i need straps that are longer and i was like let's call them room to grow and then there was another chef saying you and he was like i want them to be wider so then we called it the big papa and that things just organically became real because they needed them or somebody was like my neck hurts when I wear aprons what and then I was like well wait a second why don't we do crossback aprons and so I would listen and then I would execute so it was a lot of listen observe watch fix make over and over and over again I know that in my experience at chef's club we had a chef who was you know big because he has He's a great workout guy. Yeah. And like, I'm going to solve this problem. He has a really, you know, broad shoulders. I'm going to make him a jacket. So your desire to actually, you know, solve for an individual problem because you figure they're not the only one. Right? Exactly. This so. whole thing of like average, average education, average education level, average this. I'm like, the world is not average. Every single person is different. Every single person is unique and brings something different to the table. So I will never discount a conversation. I will always listen. doesn't matter who it is because you'll find feedback and great ideas everywhere if you really look. I love some of your collaborations, which obviously is a, a result of your wanting to get out and talk to people. And um, What are your favorite collaborations that you've done? Uh, 
I loved, we just did one with The Hundreds, which was very, uh, maybe and not what you would have expected for Headley and Bennett. So let's describe The Hundreds, because the I hundreds much is, edgier than you. Totally. The, the Hundreds is a streetwear brand that started well over 10, 12 years ago, um, back in the day when, you know, that was a burgeoning idea, vaguely an idea. It was like there were a couple of people, but they really were sort of trendsetters in that sense. And they came to us and they were just like, you guys crush the culinary world. And all the chefs that we love and that we've given clothes to are wearing Headley and Bennett. We want to work together. And I will say it changed my life to do that collaboration. I'm not kidding. Like, I feel like I grew up mentally and as a creative director and as a boss and as a CEO because it like opened my eyes to this whole other world that exists that do you is mean the, the streetwear world or um style function in a different capacity more like it's functional workwear but for life it's streetwear i just did quotes in the air in <laughs> case you are wondering there's quotes in the air around my head right now um but you know People that ride bikes and are, you know, you need something that can really take a good beating. Right. And I thought in many times, in many ways, I thought that that was just for the kitchen. But no, like life clothes need to be, you know, ready for a good beating, too. (laughs) And so that's what the streetwear collaboration with them really opened my eyes to. And so we did a launch in in November. We sold out within a few days. And both of us. We're like, we're not sure how this is going to work, but we love the brands that we're, we, I love this brand and they loved my brand and together we, we made it happen. And now we're going to do a huge rollout for holiday 2018 where it's like workwear on steroids and all kinds of different stuff that I will mums the word about for right now. (laughs) But that's like a whole new chapter of Headley and Bennett that I'm so excited about. I could see the the sort of the strain from the beginning, not strain, hardship, but like the, the through line of, you know, solving the problem for life because the yeah. kitchen was your, your life. And now you're, you can expand easily out of the kitchen totally. to address a different type of life and how captivating that would be for you. Oh, it's so interesting to me. And like pockets and making sure that things don't rip and pants. Why do they always rip around the butt? And they're just like <laughs> details that just don't get taken care of. That's a, I think the other thing that's interesting in this leap that you took you took the leap because you believed in the people yeah. and you had a gut feeling that this would be a good collaboration. But if you had asked somebody else and said, hey, you know, I'm thinking about doing it with the streetwear brand, they'd be like, no way. You know, I could see. Well, yeah. Both, or both maybe people are, would be like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, we'll see. Right. And and it sort of shocked all of us. Um, and then we were just like, yep, this is right. This is totally right. I think it goes to something that Jenny Britton Bauer said about you, which is you break the rules. She said, you know, I'm pretty much a rule follower, but I'm open-minded. But that Ellen, she is <laughs> such a rule breaker. And I thought, yeah, in what way are you a rule breaker? I, To be totally honest, I think a lot of times I just don't even know that there's rules there. And so I just walk right through them and I don't know that it's kosher or not kosher to do something. So I just do it. Like walking into the kitchen, asking for that job, walking up to the sous chef. I remember the first food event I ever went to uh, with my chef. No line cook had ever gone to a food event with Chef Michael. And I knew that he was going to go to Pebble Beach Food and Wine. And I was like, Chef, I would love to go with you. I will pay my way there. I will drive after service and meet you up there. And I worked service Friday night, jumped in my little Mini Cooper, drove all night, pulled up at 6 a.m., 6, 6.30. And they were just walking out of the hotel to go prep. And I was like, great, get in. We'll, I'll give you guys a ride. <laughs> and that was it. That was how I got my way into those things. So just not being afraid to ask people, I think it's like, don't be afraid. Just start. Just begin. One of the things that I've heard you say is a place you've broken the rules is you're a hugger. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, I don't know if you have a company motto. You probably do. But I think it would be something like hugs for all. Yeah. <laughs> so what... Um, Tell me about your hug and warmth philosophy and how that infu- is infused in Headley and Bennett. 
that definitely comes from my Mexican background. When you go to anyone's house in Mexico or anywhere you go, it's not a full-blown, like, boob-to-boob hug. It's more of a (laughs) shoulder-to-shoulder, cheek-kiss hug. But everybody does it with everybody. And having lived there for four years and grown up going there all the time, it kind of became a part of my life. And I was like, why change that? This is me, and I'm going to own it. And when I came back to L.A., L.A. was no longer black and white. It was like, nope, I brought back the color that I gained from Mexico and was like, I'm not going to lose this because this is very much me. And the world needs more color and more warmth. So why not deliver it? Um, so that that's how the color, that's how the warmth, hug, color situation happened. And then in my culture, as a company owner, we definitely, first of all, everybody that works for us is a go-getter. They are just like super scrappy and intelligent and very capable people. And when they don't think they are, we push them out of their comfort zones to make sure that they know that they are. And then they learn and then they're like, whoa, I did that. So giving somebody the opportunity and saying, you can totally do this. I'm counting on you. Show me how you can do it. And instead of answering everyone's questions and giving everybody solutions, Instead, I turn the question to them and I'm like, how would you do it? And then next thing you know, they have the greatest idea ever that they didn't even realize they had that idea. But because you gave them the platform and the opportunity, they're like, whoa. And they they like you see them blooming in front of you. And it's amazing. Like I had no idea that one of the greatest things about running a business would be cultivating people and community and just like humans it's awesome (laughs) (laughs) human beings are amazing things you work really hard on relationship building your relationships in the chef world are extraordinary uh relationships are at the center of headley and bennett how did you make that happen i was just myself and uh i think that when people are honestly themselves and not trying to be something that they're not it's easier and it's easier to connect with them because you're like, that's a real person that I'm talking to. I'm not putting on a show. I'm not trying to be somebody that I'm not. I am me and not everyone's going to like me, but then there's going to be other people that do like me and that's my tribe. And then I find more and more people that are my tribe. And then next thing you know, you have a community. And then you also cultivate the community because you have brunches, you have an office where you can host people. And I was wondering whether, you know, your grown-up life, you work super hard and you're focused and strategic and smart, but you spend a lot of time recreating sort of childhood joy. And I wonder if it's, um, and I wonder if it's because your childhood really wasn't a childhood. Your childhood was given to you to figure out actually to be a grown-up. So you ended up getting these skills But it wasn't until you had your company that you could be a child. Yeah, that's a real, that's very true. And um, it's kind of like Benjamin Button. (laughs) Exactly, going backwards. (laughs) I'm going backwards. Um, Yeah, we, you know, there were little things like I, I wanted a play gym when I was little. I never had one. And so now my customer service team works out of a treehouse with a slide attached <laughs> to it. And my office is in another treehouse with a zip line that slides into our showroom. And it was this uh, perspective, I think, that I started with that was like, dream it up. If you can dream it, you can do it. And then you just do it. And I've done that now. And, and, and I think, like I said earlier, I'm moving on to my next chapter. It was like I had this like Willy Wonka chapter of my life where I needed to have all these childhood things that I never got and I experienced them and it was great and I loved them and now I'm I feel like 2017 is Ellen putting on her big kid pants. Not that I don't have my big kid pants on. I mean, I there's so much that you don't see on Instagram that comes with legitimately running a company and I think that I'm actually owning that this year. Whereas before, I downplayed the fact that I actually am a business owner and that I'm a CEO and that I'm essentially our C-suite, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and now I'm like, no, why downplay that? You are very much that because you earned it and you got yourself there. So don't make less of it because you wear skirts. Like, you're a CEO. Yeah, you have 30 employees. You have 20 sewers that work for you. That is yours own it. And so I'm coaching myself into owning this role, which is not the little kid child 
like Ellen jumping everywhere that has always been there, but now there's another layer of me. I I feel like what I hear is that you you've almost completed the circle. You know, you yes. united the hardworking and the thoughtful with the childhood. So you don't need your childhood is done. Yeah, you've you've lived it, and yeah. now that circle can turn into like a round ball, and you can bounce it and play with it and throw it and own it. Exactly. And it's it's an incredible um, place to be, which you have earned. It, it didn't, the ball didn't just The ball come definitely did not get thrown at my head and say, here, Ellen, here's, Take this ball. here's success. Yeah. And, and if anyone ever think that that, thinks that that's the case, it's very much not the case. And every day, no matter who you are and no matter where you are on your journey, chances are that CEO is having a rough day or a rough week. And it, it's like the journey never stops unless you really, truly decide to, like, close shop. Uh I um, I'm curious who inspires you or what readings have inspired you. Had you had a moment to think about that or quotes that inspire you that yes. you'd like to share with um, the listeners? Absolutely. Um, so some of my my favorite core life slogans: um, "Wake up and fight," because I really do think that every day is a new day, and I have had such shitty days. And I've had such amazing days. But it's because of those really shitty days, the low, low lows, that you can truly embrace and appreciate the high highs. Um, and, you know, when I was little being and I was in Mexico, I had friends that had dirt floors in their house. And I would come over and they would let me be a part of dinner and have beans and rice and cheese with them. And and it was such a, a happy moment for that family because they actually had food on their table that day. And I remember as a little kid looking at that and seeing how happy they were. And I think that that's where I learned what real happiness is. And it has absolutely nothing to do with physical world things. And the physical world things are things we need, but they're not the end all or the be all to what you're doing. Um, so that, that's one of my like favorite sayings. And then the other one is, if the front door isn't open, climbing through the window, which I like <laughs> preach to the stars everywhere I go, because I think it's such an important saying. It's like, you don't give up when you hit a barrier. You find another alternative avenue or if you don't have an avenue, you make a fucking hole in the wall and you <laughs> climb through it and you find another way to do it. And the truth is a lot of people give up. So the avenue starts getting wider and wider because more and more people fall off the bandwagon and they say, I can't do it. I'll never be there. I'll never be strong enough. And the truth is they're cutting their own legs down by saying that. And if you just keep going and trudge through it, Chances are you're going to get to the end because humans have amazing tenacity. I mean, go run a marathon. You feel like you've been hit by a car 89 times and then you still survive and you cross the finish line. It's true. <laughs> With that inspiring thought, we're going to take a commercial break. This is Dana Cowan, your host of Speaking Broadly with Ellen Bennett from Headley and Bennett. Be right back. Bob's Red Mill has been milling whole grains since 1978. When you mill whole grains, you get all three parts, the bran, the germ, and the endosperm. The bran, or the roughage, makes up about 14% of the whole grain. It's the outer skin of the edible kernel. It contains large amounts of B vitamins, some protein, trace minerals, phytochemicals, but most importantly, dietary fiber. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. Hello, this is Dana Cowan, and you're back with Speaking Broadly and Ellen Bennett, 
who is also known as the Apron Lady. Ellen, you are known as the Apron Lady, but you've expanded beyond aprons. I was really excited to see the ways in which you're growing your business. How did you choose where to grow, how to grow, and when to grow? Well, organically is the only word I can think of uh, when you're a tiny little startup and you're exploding and growing and growing outward, you start to attach things to the edge where it's about to explode on the side. So uh-huh. anytime, you know, we were like, I, I could tell that that staff or that employee was about to burst, we'd stick another person on. Hmm. And then I was about to burst, I got an assistant. And then that assistant was doing a lot of event stuff. So we got an events person. Mm -hmm. And then that events person needed to do marketing. And we got a marketing person. And so you just sort of like, I attached people as I was on the verge of explosion. So you're you're talking about growing the infrastructure of the company, uh, which is super important. Well, in the same way I did product line. So we kept getting so many people being like, hey, these aprons are amazing, but I need a longer one. Hey, uh, you know, I, I'm doing a lot of events. It'd be really great if I had napkins too. And Is then, that right? So the so the chefs requested some of these things. Yeah, napkins. I love the I love the napkins. Thank you. Yeah, they're very uh, functional and fun, but really clean. We're going for a really clean design. So we launched mm-hmm. napkins and then table runners, and the table runners became a thing because every time I hosted a Bennett brunch, which are these you know lunches that I do at my house where I invite a bunch of people from different industries. Um, I would take like a piece of cloth and throw it on the table so it had color. And then I thought, wait, why are we doing this? I should make runners. And runners, you think, is a little bit outdated, right? You're like, runners so like 1950s and 60s. Or, I don't or, know. Or what 2000. The heck. So. Or 2000. But I, I thought, no, let's make awesome runners that look really cool that anybody would put in their home. And so we did. So we made them out of linen and made them really beautiful, but pops of color for your table. And then that became that. And then um, chef coats was a thing that I never had a proper chef coat. And believe it or not, I actually wanted to start with chef coats, not aprons. But it was so complicated and convoluted to do that I was I just thought no I'm just going to start with aprons uh so then the the chef coats evolved and I I'm a a connoisseur of a good shirt (laughs) I will walk down the street and stop people to take a picture of a good pocket so I had all these ideas and concepts and then we made chef coats and then I was like wait a second what about work shirts and on and on and on and do any of these things not work they're all work wear related oh do they not work sorry (laughs) i was like well um do they not work has has any um product that you've created not found an audience i guess is another way to say it they've all found audiences but at different levels Mm -hmm. and some products we you know we'll launch something and that colorway i thought was going to do amazing and then it doesn't and but another one that i had no idea explodes and what, what tell me about the exploding one yeah, so, you know, we did we did this apron last year. Um, well, this one is an apron, but I'll tell you about other products, too. So we did a uh, black sesame, it's called, and it was very dark. It's, like, all black, a million pockets, details all out the wazoo. I mean, very complex apron. And it, it was, like, <laughs> I, the only thing I could refer to it is it went viral. Like, it just sold out. And... If you look at Hedley and Bennett's color palette, it's bright and cheery and whatever. And But we're still functional and designed for the kitchen at, at our core. But sometimes I forget that. I bring the colorful Ellen side to the mix, and I don't always bring the other side to the mix. And so this was a eye-opening experience to me of, of like, yo, lady, your pink <laughs> is awesome and red is cool, but that black is really cool, and I want more of that. So then I started designing more things that were incredibly unisex and masculine at times and leather and details and accents that we had never played with. And so I pushed myself out of my comfort zone, which is always a good thing. And then we started developing our knife bag and we launched our knife bag in December of last year, sold out. But I had been working on that damn bag. Oh, man, I think we'd made 20, 25 samples. It took me 
almost two years of development to get it right because I kept scrapping it and saying, start over, it's not right, it's not mm. right. And now it's, it's, I love it. It's so functional and sleek and clean. And a lot of our inspiration actually came from Apple and just how clean and simple their design is, but it's so functional, has all the details you need, nothing you don't, and it's very easy to use. So our knife bag, it's called Mies, short for Mies <laughs> and Floss, everything in its right place, you know? I love that idea, and it, it interests me that there would be such an audience. Obviously, you have the chef audience, so yeah. it marries to the chef audience, um, and it is taking something that people probably haven't thought a whole lot about, like, how do I make a stylish chef yeah, bag right um and the and only things out it. there are so clunky and so chunky literally chunky and they roll weird and you can't you know you you have a chance of being stabbed by your knife through the you know it's just bad it's badly designed and i was like uh-uh and it's now, over and right and now there's a better and now there's a means <laughs> that you can get on our website a better option yes i l- love the fact that you Keep your knife skills up, speaking of knife skills, and jump behind the line, um, on the line, sorry, not behind the line. Eh, it, it's behind the line. Is it behind the line? Yeah, behind and on. It's, it's all good. In restaurant kitchens. <laughs> why do you do that? Do you find that relaxing, like the rush of the kitchen? Is that somehow I weird? I you? weirdly do. I weirdly find it very therapeutic. And all the noise gets shut out by the noise of the kitchen. And there you are. And you've got that one thing in front of you and you've got to make that thing perfect and you don't have to worry about anything else. Just that. And when you're a business owner, it's on all the time in my head. 24 hours a day, I'm thinking about Headley and Brennan, how to make a better product. How do I do this? How am I going to launch that? What's the marketing campaign? What's the ROI? What is EBITDA? Like all this <laughs> stuff. It never stops. And so if you're in a kitchen, you just are focusing on that thing and that's a beautiful quiet, loud moment. <laughs> and then do you ever get amazing thoughts that solve a problem there because you're in the action? Absolutely. I never, I won't say never, but I will say I'll rarely get a great idea while doing nothing. Hmm. Most of my great ideas come about when I'm doing something. So even when I'm restructuring something or redoing an org chart, I will actually reorganize my office like I will move furniture around I will you know color coordinate my books I will move things because that's what gets my wheels turning or go for a run or boxing or just move around I wish that my time puttering and rearranging you know (laughs) all the papers in my office did the same thing for me I have to think about that Being in those restaurants all the time and traveling as much as you do, which is quite a bit, you have a great view of excellent restaurants that people should go and eat in today. What are some of your favorite restaurants? Maybe you could take your pick Mexican around the country, Mexican in L.A., Mexican in Mexico City, since you obviously know a lot about Mexican food. We want to hear from the expert. Okay. Um, I, in Mexico City... There's this little pozole place. All they do is pozole. They, like, focus on pozole. It's called Casa de Toño. And it's... How do you spell that? Phenomenal. You have too good an accent. C-A-S-A space D-E space Toño, which is short for Antonio. Okay. Casa de Toño. So uh, you just go in there, and it's almost like like a... They just have giant pots of pozole, and they serve you a bowl, and that's that. And it's fantastic. So that's one of my favorite spots. There's another place under, it's actually under a freeway passing in Mexico that's called Chupa Cabras. Chupa Cabras. <laughs> Sound it out, write it down, you'll find it. Only locals go there. It's like a two peso taco, and it's unbelievable. And they have an entire table of slides, so you can sides. Sorry, not slides. Uh, <laughs> like there's slides, slides really? there too. A yellow slide. Um, you can put potatoes, mashed potatoes, beans, um, cactus, five different kinds of salsas, radishes, and it's just a big giant situation. And those are unbelievable tacos that end up being like burritos because you have so much stuff wow. on top of them. So Chupa Covers is amazing. And then I have to tell you this place, not because it's tacos, but it's amazing. It's called El Maque, M-A-Q-U-E. And it's in front of um, Parque Mexico in Mexico City. And it is truly one of my favorite bakeries 
ever in all the land. They have a corn muffin that is so moist, it's like shining. It's un freaking believable. Like, you need to eat that corn muffin from El Maque because it's mind-boggling. So that's delicious. And then last one, El Califa. El Califa is an unbelievable taqueria in Mexico. It's like high-end tacos. Mexico City. Mexico Mexico City, sorry. Mexico City. And you can get, like, a filet mignon taco. Wow. And it's awesome. That I'm ready to go. I'm really... (laughs) Let's go to Mexico City, (laughs) Dana. Exactly. Well, you do as I said, travel so much, your adventures with Jenny Britton Bauer in a car <laughs> highlights. I'm just, I'm dying to ask you, so I'm just take advantage of okay. asking you here. All right. Highlights. Um, okay. I was, uh, one of the highlights was actually doing a talk at a high school in the middle of, I think it was Birmingham, Nashville. It was in Nashville. Um, and it was this beautiful high school and I remember walking into the room and you know they were kind of like smug high schoolers and they thought who the hell is this girl and what the hell is she going to say to us that's going to make any difference and you could see as I continued to talk with them they were starting to sit up a little bit higher in their chair and just like looking up a little bit more and, and sort of way more interested and that was a highlight for me because if I can impart anything to people that are on their way especially when they're in high school trying to figure out like what the hell are they going to do and how am I going to fit into this straight line of life that everyone says I need to jump into and so to tell them stand there and tell them like hey I, I started this apron company out of my house and I did it by myself and now we are where we are and I'm still on the journey and you can do that too was so gratifying and I felt so inspired by them. By them. Uh, something I'm curious. You started your company with no money. Yeah. $300 to be exact. Okay. Some money. <laughs> and Cash money, Dana. Those $300. <laughs> it didn't come free. Yeah. So how can anyone do that? How did you do that on no money? I feel like there must be. And maybe confidence is a secret, so we've talked yeah. about it. But the no money thing, how did you do that? Well, uh, first of all, I didn't spend more money than I made Uh for a long time, which I feel like is an old school business mentality that I just applied to my life and kept at it Hmm. a lot. So I never actually spent more than I made. And every single penny that I made with Headley and Bennett at the beginning, it went right back into the business. And I didn't take a salary from Headley and Bennett almost until two years into it. And at that point I had several employees. I had an office, but I was still working at Providence. Even though I had an office and employees, I was still keeping my day job because I thought I needed that to survive. And so I would say you, if you can manage it mentally and physically, don't quit your day job and maintain that extra source of income while you get your, you know, thing going. So that was a big asset. And then I was also, I did all the things that are the hard things to do that money makes a lot easier, mm-hmm. like just getting out of your house and talking to anybody and going to places and going to events and going to farmer's markets at six in the morning to find anyone and everyone. You know, the, that's like the hard school. It's the guerrilla hustle. I mean, it's like guerrilla marketing, guerrilla hustling, all of it. Um, and I did a lot of that and I'm still doing that to this day. And I think people undervalue just getting out there in the world. And it's definitely a harder avenue to take, but it's a very fruitful one because people appreciate real life interactions, even though social media is such a huge part of our lives now. So there must be people who've inspired you, who you look up to. Maybe they haven't done exactly what you've done, but there's something about them that makes them sort of a leader or a mentor in your mind. And those women on this show, we call uh, inductees into the Food Hall of Dames. And I wonder if you have any people you'd like to propose. Yes, I do, actually. Okay, so I, I listed out a few, but I will, I will say I think that this lady is the one you should have. She's the CEO of Vitamix. Her name is Jody Berg. Her grandfather started Vitamix, and um, I moderated a panel with her a couple years ago at Cherry Bomb, and I 
could not say better things about this woman. She is just such a fearless boss. And in many ways, like me, she saw this opportunity and they were looking for a CEO and she had grown up near this business and she thought, I can do this. I will do this and I'm going to crush it. (laughs) And that's exactly what she's doing. And I appreciate her passion because, you know, they're at the end of the day, they're blenders. For her, there's so much more, and it's just like me with aprons. It's an apron, but that's really just the vessel to get out into the world, and then you use it as a platform for good. And she wants to change the way people eat and actually be health conscious, and it's really incredible, and she's awesome. So you should, Jody Bird, get your buns in here. Like, let's do this. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Ellen. That is the show for today. Thank you all for joining me. Um, Ellen, People should follow you on social. Where do you? Where should they find you? Okay, so you can find me specifically at Ellen Marie Bennett, and then you can also find our apron adventures at Headley and Bennett. And I'm really into Instagram stories, so if you want to see me working at midnight at my apron factory and doing you know dance parties to keep myself awake, that's where you can find me, Ellen Marie Bennett. <laughs> And to follow my adventures, you can um, go to Instagram, FW Scout, or for wisdom from Speaking Broadly, at Speaking Broadly, also on Instagram. All of my shows are archived here at heritageradionetwork.org, on iTunes and Stitcher. Um, I'd love it if you would subscribe. And I just want to thank my amazing engineer, David Tatashore. He's weaving through the window. Thank you, David, for a great day. And... Feel free, listeners, give me input, make suggestions. Maybe you have some women who you'd like to nominate for the Hall of Dames. You must. Let me know. I want to know who they are. I want to know your questions. I want to have those women on my show. So that's it for this week. I look forward to talking to you next week, Wednesday noon. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.